Hello and welcome. Greetings from the Offensive Security Group here at Secure IT 360. Coming at you with a new episode of the Cyber Threat Perspective. It is Friday, and so it is time for a week in review. Uh, each week, Offensive Security team is tracking, researching, and analyzing threats and vulnerabilities and just basically keeping a finger on the pulse of the security world so that we can bring this to you and maybe make you a little bit more uh, squared away than you were yesterday. So with that in mind, you've got myself, Brad, and Mr. Spencer here, both of us from the Offensive Security Group, um, here to talk about some cool stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Uh, another exciting week in the security world. Uh, for those kind of following along, a uh, couple things we wanted to talk about today were the Bumblebee malware loader uh, report by the DFA report. Really good report, and uh, I think you'll see why when we, we get into that. We're also going to talk about SMS and voice phishing, smishing and vishing for those who are... Please no. <laughs> the very, tr- very triggering words, right? I think... Yeah. I think the community is torn. I think the hardcore people are like, no, please don't use those words. Let's just, just yeah. call it SMS phishing. But uh, yeah. I, I've never understood why we need to have a sexy name for literally every flavor of every attack <laughs> in the hacker world. But it is. It's just, it's what we have. So yeah. Yeah. People want to feel important, right? They come up with these fancy phrases. It's like, ah, that was me that coined that word or phrase. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we're going to be talking about some SMS phishing, voice phishing attacks that uh, made pretty, uh, pretty, pretty newsworthy this week. Pretty high fro- profile attacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first one is Bumblebee, uh, Bumblebee malware. So this is uh, from a DFA report article, uh, and essentially what happened was uh, in April 2022, there were some threat actors that used Bumble ma- Bumblebee malware for initial access uh, and then went on to perform a, a number of different techniques on the environment. Uh, they moved laterally. They pervesced. Uh, they uh, did a whole bunch of things that are very common to see for kind of cyber criminal tradecraft. Everything done in this honestly kind of reads like a pen test to me. I'm As I'm reading through this, I'm like, yeah, we've done these things on pen tests. These are things that we test on uh, red team engagements. So we test these things during purple team exercises. You know, how well can we detect these things? So these are very common things that this actor was doing. Uh, and it just articula- it just kind of shows that the cyber criminal tradecraft doesn't have to be super sophisticated. A lot of times the basic default things work, unfortunately, but that's a Mm -hmm. good opportunity for us as defenders to kind of key in on some of those things uh, to help detect those things, Um, especially the default configuration. Uh, As is the case with this article, uh, the threat actor used a default Cobalt Strike configuration. And there's very well-known indicators for out-of-the-box Cobalt Strike, right? Yeah. So um, that uh, so that's my, my kind of my first point uh, of bringing up this article. The second point is this reactor was in the environment for 11 days doing right. various different things. So what that means, and they were in there 11 days and they hadn't exfilled and they hadn't deployed ransomware yet, right? It's pretty wild. So, that's unusual, I think, right? I think it's unusual, but I think it gives us hope as defenders to say, okay, we have some time, right? We have some time. Mm-hmm. If a user gets fished, we get malware, maybe we have some time to detect these things. So a little 
little glimmer of hope, I guess. <laughs> sure. I think the I think the current average time is like 72 hours is is from from you know the first second of initial access i'd, I'd have to go mm-hmm. double check that but it's a pretty short period of time yeah and so i i want to i want to point something out and i'm looking i'm looking at jim right now by the way you can't see me doing it i'm looking at jim we we have had this discussion when we talk to blue teams all the time we we get pushback a little bit on on especially internal um, pen testing and even to a smaller degree external pen testing when they say that's an unrealistic test the things that you're doing are not the same as a a true breach yep. and and you know strictly speaking it's true i agree with that at a fundamental level however in almost every case Something that the threat actor does mimics or directly reproduces what we do, you know, at least one aspect of what we do from from an internal pen test perspective. So we can't always exactly replicate every single possible scenario for for, you know, a breach. But in ninety nine percent of our internal pen tests, we're we're first of all, we're using bad guy techniques, right? but but second of all, we will touch on one or more of of the things that bad guys use in in, in their attacks. So I, I took a long a long way around to say that even though every aspect of an internal pen test is not exactly like a breach, certain things are. Mm-hmm. And you know, in this case, like you said, it, it reads like a pen test. And so um, it, it's just an interesting conversation, right? To, yep. to, to draw those parallels because we do get that pushback from blue teams from time to time. Yep. Yeah. And you know, the techniques are there. We might not use the same procedures. Like we might not use a defined for example, but mm-hmm. maybe we'll use power view because there's no PowerShell restrictions enabled on the client environment. Right. So right. Why not just use the easiest tool and PowerShell is available and ready. Right. Maybe, uh, we use Sliver or some other C2 framework as opposed to Cobalt Strike, right? We'll we'll swap in different uh, components or tools, but the yep. techniques are there uh, in kind of what we're seeking and what we're looking to do on an internal pen test is is very much the same, like you sure. were saying. So really interesting. Uh, I, I love the Defer Report articles. I, I use these and I love using these for kind of threat emulation, right? Mm-hmm. Running these through detection tools to see, okay, are we picking up on the use of AD fine, for example, or are we able to detect when there's scanning going on when I'm just doing a ping scan or port scan on internal network, right? Is that something we're able to detect that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I love, that's what I love doing and helping defenders do is like emulate these things in order to test them and see how good is our visibility and where are our gaps. Agreed. Uh, a couple kind of key things I thought I wanted to point out with prevention and detection, right? I mentioned it already. We kind of talked about it, catching the defaults, right? Default Cobalt Strike is is very highly detected now, right? I, I don't think I've been in an engagement where I've just YOLO'd Cobalt Strike <laughs> vanilla form and not get caught, even by right. Defender, right? Sure, sure. It's surprising so, that even works at all. Yeah, yeah. In, the, in, in this case, they used a default configuration. They used default named pipes. Uh, so a lot of it was just very default stuff. Uh, so catching the defaults, catching the well-known things is a good start, 
right? Catching AD fine, catching well-known LSAS dumping techniques, using well-known Kerberosting tools like PowerViews Invoke Kerberos, which was used in this case. Uh, Seatbelt even, right? Catching the well-known stuff uh, is important. It gives us a good baseline um, and it helps us prevent kind of the low-hanging fruit. This, the second thing I wanted to mention is, uh, is around ISOs, right? The initial access was through a zip file that contained an ISO uh, that launched, uh, ultimately launched a DLL to implant the malware. You can prevent mounting ISOs through a group policy. So you can prevent mounting those files uh, and hopefully that kind of mitigates that a little bit. Now there's other ways to mount those using PowerShell and things like that. Sure. But at least you have that protection through a group, group policy and the attackers have to try a little bit harder, right, to, to do that. So th those are my kind of two takeaways from, from this, from a detection slash prevention standpoint. Sure, sure. Yeah, these guys aren't doing anything crazy. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I, again, I love these reports. Um, it's a really good example of what's happening out there. Uh, so good stuff. Yep, I like it. The the other uh, kind of topic we wanted to talk about was SMS and voice phishing. And this comes in the form of a couple different things, right? Uh, Twilio announced they had a uh, they had an attack, a breach. Uh, Cloudflare announced around the same time that Twilio had uh, this incident that they were experiencing an attack on their environment. Uh, and then Cisco will be the, the kind of the... The third one that we talk about that's a little bit related, kind of, um, but the Twilio and Cloudflare are definitely, um, you know, more closely related. And essentially, uh, the TLDR of this is that there uh, was a couple customers of Twilio who had their accounts compromised through SMS phishing. So SMS phishing, uh, as you know, is uh, or may not know. I mean, uh, depending on how often your users are seeing these things, you might not. Uh, kind of notice this, but SMS phishing is still very tried and true. Uh, it's still very effective. Uh, and what this looks like is a user gets an SMS phishing message that directs them to a login page. That login page is, is oftentimes uh, made to look like a login page that user would expect, you know, like an Okta login page, or in this case, a Twilio login page or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then the user enters their credentials and then, hey, let's say they have MFA, right? Maybe they're using OTP, you know, like the code on the authenticator. That login page will also capture that code and send it to the threat actor. Uh, so it's kind of a way to bypass MFA as well. And that's kind of what this uh, incident is articulating. And same with the Cloudflare article. The attack was designed to not only steal credentials and get access, but to bypass MFA uh, using this technique. So, uh, real interesting um, attacks, uh, and, but the main thing is is the prevalence of SMS phishing, and you know how that's still very effective today. Literally twenty year old technique, man. Yeah. You know, and and this looks so. So when I first got exposed to SMS phishing, was probably in like oh five, oh six, something like that, working for a bank, and it looked exactly like this. This is there's no change at all. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and you know the interesting thing here is uh, a couple of interesting things is the threat actors registered domains that were similar to 
the target domain, sure. right? So they register these Twilio-SSL or Twilio-Octa, or in the case of the Cloudflare, uh, I think it was cl- yeah Cloudflare-Octa.com, yep. right? Uh, so the, they registered these lookalike domains uh, and created a login page that looks like what the user would expect. Um, so yeah, you know, this is a tried and true red team technique. This is a tried and true uh, attack technique. Uh, and the the Cloudflare article is is really good. It talks about how they how they were awesome and how they stopped it and how they spent. Uh, you know, they have all these sophisticated things to to prevent it. Um, and we'll talk about defense a little bit at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are things you can do to kind of prevent this that uh, are, are that don't require spending millions of dollars. And we'll talk about that. Um, but really good article. Nonetheless, it talks about how they prevented it, which uh, was, a, was a, is a good takeaway. Right. Sure. Sure. And, and, you know, I think their strategy is really more large corporation strategy. Um, we leverage some of, some of the similar tactics, you know, in the finance world. And so, um, you know, we, we had a great deal of success using similar methods, but as you mentioned, it's pretty cost prohibitive. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk about more uh, at the end, but essentially they're, they have their Cloudflare, right? So they have these web gateways and all of this edge stuff, um, that you can buy, um, but uh, like you said, it's very some of it's very costly. But there's things you can do, like physical hardware tokens, UTF type tokens, is one good way to to mitigate phishing. And we'll talk more about that um, as we wrap up these two stories. But a, kind of a foreshadowing to that. Cool. the The third article uh, in this section of, of topics is uh, from Cisco. Uh, Cisco had a similar type of attack. Uh, However, this one started a little differently as I zoom in here. Uh, so Cisco had a, uh, a employee's personal Google account compromised. So their personal Google account was compromised. And then that threat actor was able to steal their corporate you know, enterprise password because the user had saved it in their browser. So in sure. their browser is like Chrome password manager thing. And they had these, the, the, synchronization turned on right so when you log in from a different device or something you know google will synchronize mm-hmm. uh that the user had this turned on so they they were able to get those those passwords from the chrome browser after compromising the user's personal google account sure and then the interesting part or more interesting part is they used voice phishing to essentially convince the user to accept the mfa prompt so they just kept calling them, kept prompting them. And essentially, you know, Cisco calls it, I think, MFA fatigue somewhere in this yeah. article. Sure. Uh, it's also referred to as like MFA bombing, where you just constantly berate the users with, with MFA prompts. But they combined it with voice phishing. To, they called them purporting to be, you know, some trusted third party or trusted yep. um, organization saying, hey, you got to approve this for this reason. Uh, and ultimately, the, the attacker got in through the VPN using this technique. So SMS phishing, voice phishing, voice phishing is still very real and very big threats oh, yeah. to organizations. Yeah. And, and this is an attack that we, uh, we actually used this last week on a penetration test. Um, and so, you know, ultimately we didn't get in, but you know, it's part of the challenge of a layered approach. It's part of 
the challenges with MFA and a lot of people, and you and I were having this conversation before the podcast, MFA is not a, a silver bullet. There are flaws with MFA implementations. There are issues with, like you said, you know, um, fatigue with regards to push notifications or, uh, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, MFA is not a magic, a magic wand. You can wave and make initial access go away. Uh, there's user education involved. There's configuration tightening that you can do. Um, and, and more importantly, by the way, just there, there are so many lessons to be learned from this particular incident. But the biggest thing of all is it sounds like Cisco has a half-baked zero-trust scenario, right? Why, why is a user's personal Google-authenticated browser saving passwords to corporate resources? Um that sounds like a zero trust thing kind of, but then we're still accessing it using potential. Um, anyway, it, it's just strange, yeah. right? It sounds like, it sounds like they're in the middle of a zero trust migration and you know, the only real protection against access to all this stuff was an MFA that could be spammed. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, again, this brings up the the question of, uh, of like you said, zero trust and how we protect uh, you know, remote users, right? We're, we're in yeah. a more remote world now. Everything is, is through a browser, through a web application. So yeah. how we protect those things and the secrets uh, is, is more important than ever. And I, I've said this before, but if all that's standing between the bad actor and your bottom line is MFA, then we've got some work to do, right? Um, yeah. We yeah. need to implement layered defense. Uh, and that just essentially means if I'm able to guess the password and get past MFA, then I as attacker should have some additional hurdles to go through, right? That's the goal mm -hmm. is make every step a little bit harder and make there be multiple, multiple, multiple steps the attacker yeah. has to has to jump through um, to get to their end goal. And, and that's exactly why I mentioned zero trust, right? Because there are some fundamental concepts with regards to zero trust. So the reason I think Cisco has a partially implemented version of this is because, you know, this user is using a browser at home, presumably, to access, you know, sensitive company applications. Um, but but two, one of the founding foundational pillars of zero trust is context. Right, contextual access to things. If if suddenly my browser is is um, geolocated to you know Canada, right? Because you know those Canadians, and so um, and and then suddenly I'm you know MFAing from a different place and trusting a different device. You know the applications themselves are responsible for validating that context and and time of day. You know there, there's a million variables, but like yeah, you're right fundamentally like mfa is not the end all be all man yep yeah and there are more fish fishing resistant forms of mfa that that companies yeah. should start looking at right mfa prompt you'll very quickly see that mfa prompt is going to go away it's just not going to be an option just like sms based uh authentication or multi-factor yep. uh in some ways you know otp is is maybe a little bit better than prompt you know depending on your users and the education and stuff mm -hmm. but uh fido tokens so it's called fido2 uh security keys that's what you can like google fido tokens or fido2 security keys or hardware key uh it's something like a yubi key if you're familiar with that yep 
Uh, they have different types of technologies built into them. Some of them have biometric like fingerprint readers on of them, on them. Uh, really cool stuff. But essentially, it's a hardware-backed token. It's a hardware-backed security key that's that can only be used like with it, if it's physically in your presence. So it's right. it's phishing resistant. So if I have that hardware token, unless somebody has that hardware token, even if they have my password, they're not going to be able to get past bot get past MFA unless there's some technical flaw there that's being uh, abused. Yeah. Um, so those are really big. And that's what Cloudflare said. They, they, well, the reason why they didn't uh, ultimately, the attacker wasn't ultimately successful was because they used hardware based uh, security keys to mm-hmm. kind of prevent that phishing attack. And, and again, what's, what's old is new. Uh, we used to have RSA tokens, like hard yeah. tokens, you know, and and they were just these little these little thumb drive shaped things that had codes that rotated. Yep. You know, it's it's just it's just interesting because yep. it's it's uh we we've already solved this problem and then somehow we unsolved it and and now we're back to we're back to uh again two thousand four when we're yep. when we're going to be shipping out hardware. So, I yep. mean, interesting for sure. Uh yeah, and another thing that's that's maybe a little bit more advanced, uh, but there are services you can subscribe to that can help you do this is domain monitoring, right? monitoring yeah. for lookalike domains. Uh, obviously, this was a, a significant factor in the cases that we presented today, which is the Twilio, the uh, Cloudflare incident, most likely the Cisco one too. We don't really know or have a lot of the details, but definitely in the Twilio incident and the Cisco incident, they were the attackers intentionally set up domains that looked like the target or looked reasonable or looked plausible sure. uh, to the user. So monitoring for lookalike domains uh, or domains that are newly registered uh, that have similarities with your own or products you use, things like that, uh, is a good idea and can help be uh, kind of a proactive measure. Yep. Uh, of course, we talked about educating users. I think that's just, uh, you know, that goes without saying. But also some more advanced things are using web gateways, like in the course, in the case of the Cloudflare article, they have these really cool web gateways and they have CASB and all this fancy stuff, which we said can get very pricey. But if you wanna do more advanced stuff, that's the way to go, right? Is is using these gateways that do URL filtering and you can sandbox newly registered domains and all this cool fancy stuff, uh, along with the CASB, the cloud access security brokers. Um, to manage those cloud apps, but that's getting into the more mature, advanced, you know, sure. fancy stuff. Um, but definitely an option uh, as well. Agreed. Agreed. That's good stuff, man. Yeah. Um, all right, folks. So, so that's all we have for you today. If you enjoyed this episode or you got value from it, you know, please share it with your folks and uh, you know, like, rate, whatever all that good stuff is from whatever platform that you're getting this from. And uh, most importantly, have a great weekend and uh, we will talk to you next week. 